KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah Udvar Hashem Yerushalayim. And this is Ezra Beck broadcasting from Yeshivat HaRetzion in Gush Etzion. Today is Thursday, Yom Chamishi, Chaf Hei Shvat. And this Shabbat is Pashat Mishpatim. It's also Mavachim HaChodesh, Mavachim HaChodesh of Chodesh Adar. And therefore, it's also Pashat Shkalim, the special reading of Pashat Shkalim, uh, which heralds in the month of Adar. The month of Adar, of course, is the month about which Chazar say, So we have a lot to get ready for. We have to get ready for the new month. We have to get ready for Shkalim, at least mentally, to know that we should be giving Chatsi Shekel in order to support the Beit HaMikdash. And we have to get ready for the month of happiness, the month of Marbim B'Simcha, the month when, when it begins, immediately when it begins, not when poem comes, but in the beginning of the month, Mishanechnas Adar, Marbim B'Simcha. Today's shiur in Prashat HaShavua will be given by Harav Menachem Liebtag, and afterwards I will be back with the Halacha Yomit. We're all familiar with the famous Rashi at the beginning of Chumash, who asks, why doesn't the Torah begin with Parshat HaChodesh? Why doesn't the Torah begin with the first set of Halachot, with the first set of laws? Why does it begin with the story of creation? There's a number of answers that the commentators give to that question, but the underlying assumption behind Rashi's question is, why is it Chumash a book of laws? The answer obviously will be that even in the stories that Chumash tells us, we can learn things. When we took a parsha Mishpatim, we finally had a parsha which almost is entirely discussing laws. And in the short share which we're going to discuss today, we're going to try to understand that not only does Chumash teach us lessons through stories sometimes, in addition to its flaws, even in the way that it presents its flaws, there's a lot of messages that we can learn. Let's begin by taking a quick look at Pashat Mishpatim and try to get an understanding of what type of laws are found inside. I'm sure you noticed that Pashat Mishpatim contains lots of laws and all different kinds of laws. It begins with the laws of a Jewish servant, Nebuchadnezzar, and then a female Jewish servant, and Amadriya. Then it continues with laws about uh, what's called civil laws or damages. If a person kills another person, then he causes damage to another person. Laws about a person's property. They might damage somebody else. They might have an animal. They can cause damage to another person. An animal can cause damage to another animal. A person can cause damages not only by his property. He can dig a, a, a well, a bore, and cause damages. He can borrow something and not return it. He can steal something. There's many different ways that a person can cause damage to another person. And the word in Hebrew we call, we use to discuss that is called Nizikim which means damages. And the Talmud, um, the second is the key, is basically what we call Baba Kama, Baba Batra, Baba Mitzia, etc. All discuss the various details of those laws. They all begin at the beginning of Pasha Mishpatim. That's the first section of Pasha Mishpatim, what we call Perakhat Allah, chapter 21. And it goes into the beginning of chapter 22. Um, after those laws, we have other laws which seem a little bit different. We talk about that um, about witchcraft a little bit. We talk about Elim Zobek, Elohim Yehoram. You're not allowed to bring 
Corbin, no offerings to other gods except for God himself. And then we sort of change gears in the middle of Parsha and talk about other laws, about being nice to the stranger, about being nice to the orphan and the widow, when you lend money to somebody else, if you take a collateral, make sure you return to them if it's something they need, uh, not to oppress others, and there's laws about being not taking a bribe. There's also laws about, uh, it seems to be laws about what you're supposed to eat, you're not supposed to eat a, uh, an animal you find lying on the street. Uh, there's laws about returning lost items, or lost animal to, to somebody else. All types of laws, uh, at the end of chapter 22 and chapter 23. And then towards the end, all of a sudden we find laws about Shabbat, about Shemitah, about Aliyah the Rego on the Shodosh Shogalim, on the three pilgrimage holidays. And that pretty much ends the law section. And then we have some laws about, not laws, but some promises that God's going to send uh, a Malach, some angel, to come help us capture the land of Israel at the end of chapter 23. And then, when the is over, Towards the end, we have the story of the covenant that they still make in Harsina when they proclaim Nasef and Ishma, and then there's a famous argument of when they said that. What we're going to discuss in our share today is the law section. We're not going to discuss the story at the end. We're going to discuss the law section, which is basically from the beginning of the Parshat, from Perachat Aleph through the end of Perachat Gimel, and try to understand why these laws are here in Kaddish. First, let's explain the question. As we all know, there's 613-some laws in the Bible. But they're not all given at the same time. Now, we're familiar with Shulchan Aruch. When we learn Shulchan Aruch, we learn Arachayim, when we learn the regular code of laws, we want to study laws. The laws are pretty much presented in a logical order. We have laws of day-to-day life, laws of what we do when we get up in the morning, laws about davening, laws about holidays, laws about what you can eat, what you can't eat. And they're all organized in Shulchan Aruch based on topics, all the same topics together. In Chumash we find something which is very different. Amisro comes to Ramsala, they come to Arsinai, and they enter a covenant, a brief with HaKadosh Baruch God. And then, we get the first set of laws which are known as the Ten Commandments, and they're given in a special way. It could be there's something special about those first Ten Commandments, which is a question in itself. Why these ten as opposed to why ten and not twenty, why ten and not five, why these laws as opposed to other laws? One question which we'll leave aside for now. But after those ten commandments are over, then there's a little story in the Pasha Kitro about how the people were fearful from hearing laws directly from God. And then God tells Moshe, okay, the people don't want to hear directly from me, I'm going to give you a set of laws to give them. And then we find a special set of laws, which we're going to call for now, Pashavishpatim, which include some 50, 100, some laws. It's not all the laws of the Torah, but it's many laws. And the question is going to be, why is this set of laws, from chapters 21 to 23 in Sefer Shmuel, why are these laws given here, or why are these laws recorded here in Chumash, in contrast to all the other laws in Chumash? We have other laws about the Mishkan in Shmuel, we have other laws about Behavior in Parshat Koshim, we have laws in Sefer Tvarim, we have laws about Kavanot, in Baikra, we have laws about Tumantara, about cleanliness in Baikra, we have laws about Shemitah, we have laws in Bamibar Batsitzit, about taking Chala, we have tons and tons of different laws, tons of laws in Tvarim, about going to war, about a judicial system, about a political system, about a king, lots of laws all over Tvarim. 
Why are the laws in Parshish Pratim, why are they here, in contrast to other places in the Hamish, and why specifically this set of laws here? Um, the Ramban brings up this question, and he gives a very simple answer. Of course, Ramban plays the Chumash in order, and he comes something very simple. He says, God really planned to give Am Yisrael, the people of Israel, a lot of laws. Wanted to give them as much as he could. But he compares the process of the law giving to when a non-Jew wants to become Jewish. When a person wants to become a gay. When a person wants to become a, to convert. What do we do? First, we teach him some of the laws. We give him sort of a sampling of laws. If he accepts those, then we can make him Jewish, and then we can teach him the rest later. Means a person doesn't have to know every single law about Judaism to become Jewish. You have to give him a basic understanding of Judaism, a sampling of laws. If he accepts those, he can become Jewish, and then he can learn the rest. In a similar way, the Ramban explains that when Amisar comes to Sinai, first God gives us a sampling of laws. He says, if you accept these laws, then we'll make a nice little ceremony. That's going to be chapter 24. Here's the first set of laws, a sort of sampling of laws that you have to keep. If you accept these, then we'll make a covenant. Then we're going to gather together, we're going to make sort of a kiddush, we're going to gather at Harsinai, we're going to build a mispeah, we're going to read Korbanot, and we're going to have a ceremony, we're going to take the blood and sprinkle it on the people, and everyone's going to declare Nasev and Shema. And then after that's done, we can continue with the law again. That's where the Ramban understands why these laws come first. But these sort of explains that these laws are a sort of sampling to get started. But even if so, the question remains, why are these laws a sampling as opposed to others? So let's take a look at what laws we have in Parsha Mishpatim and try to understand why would it be that God gave these laws to the people of Israel at this time? Um, if we look at them and look for a general category, there's definitely no one general category that would explain the topic for all these laws. On the other hand, there is one general category which seems to be very prominent, which is called mitzvot ben adam v'chaverot, mitzvot between one man and his fellow man. Which seems to make sense, um, that if God's going to give a law, there's certain basic expectations he has from our behavior as God's nation, and he tells us, here's the laws of how we treat our fellow man. We talk about how we treat a servant, um, what happens if one person damages another person, how to treat the poor, the needy, etc., returning lost items. The general category for almost all the mitzvot in Pasha Mishpatim is going to be between man and his fellow man, what's called Ben Adam and On the other hand, there's some exceptions. At the end of the Pasha, at the end of the unit, we have laws about Shalosh Lugadim, Adi Abarim, about the pilgrimage holidays. We have laws about Shemitah, about Shabbat. In the middle, we have laws about not bringing offerings to other other gods. We have laws about um, to be anti Kodesh, to be holy people to God, not to eat an animal. It talks about uh, a couple of small things here and there that would seem to fall in the category of between God and man. So the question, what's the reason? Is there any logic to the blend? That's one observation. That observation, when we talk about the laws between man and his fellow man, there seems to be two very different types of presentation. At the beginning of the Pasha, the laws are very classic, meaning, I think they call it causative law, or case law, 
where the Torah says, should this case happen, here's the punishment. For example, should a person hit another person and cause him to die, the person who hit him has to be put to death. And if he only caused damages, then the person who hit him has to, is responsible for those damages. A person who opens up a pit or starts a fire is responsible um, to pay for the damage that he's done. Now, when we look at these laws, you can ask yourself a question. Let me read one example from um, early in the Parsha, where it says, not only do you hit a person who causes him to die, you put to death, it also says, If a person curses his mother or father, he should be put to death. If a person only hits his father and father, he should be put to death. Does that mean, if I see, if I'm in someone's house, let's say I'm a God-fearing, Torah-keeping Jew, and I'm in my neighbor's house, and I see his son cursing his parents. Teenager, so I open his mouth and curses his parents. Does that mean that I'm obligated to kill that son? Of course not. What's that mean, though? Who are these punishments directed to? It's quite clear that these are guidelines not for what every individual has to fulfill, but these are guidelines for the baking, for the court system. And that's the simplest understanding of the header to the whole system. These are the mishpatim, these are the judgments that you give in front of them. These seem to be a set of laws that are supposed to be enforced by the Jewish court system, by baking. And therefore, baking has a whole set of laws. You have to have witnesses, and you have to have warnings, and things like that. Anyone who learns Masechets and Hedrim, for sure, is familiar with, or all Mizuki, um, about, about the Jewish court system. But it's still important for every individual to know, to know the laws, to know he's responsible for his actions, to know that he needs to pay damages if he causes damage, etc. And he knows when he should go to court, and when he doesn't need to go to court. So we have a whole set of laws that seem to be directed to the Jewish court system. To Jewish society, but basically they're going to be enforced by the court system, but all case laws. For example, Kigach Shor et Ish. Holy Kishab Emet, Sakoli Sakel Ashor. If a person's ox or property causes damage to somebody else, I'm sorry, causes damage to another person, then um, that animal itself is put to death, and the owner, however, isn't responsible, but if the animal had been done this before, then the owner takes on more responsibility, what's called Shor Muad, as opposed to Shor Tan. But again, all these cases are presented, should this happen, this is the punishment. One more example. Um, if a person gives someone something to watch for him, and then it's stolen, then who has to pay? If they, if they find the Ganab, the Ganab has to pay double, and if not, he has to pay. There's a whole complicated set of laws of what needs to be done. But every single case here is given this case, this is the psati, this is the law that has to apply. And the key word, pun intended, is key. Should this happen or key? When this happens, should this happen? This is the, the This pattern of law giving continues all the way until Perech Abed Pasuk Yud The last case, ending Yud is a case of what's called Onus Mufateh, of someone seduces someone else's daughter, and then her value in marriage goes down, and therefore the father has been damaged, and the person who
who's done this has to pay to the father um, money which is due to him uh, because the value has gone down. After that law, we have a certain change in style. In Pasek Yitzayim, in Parach Abed, in chapter 22, verse 17, it says, It didn't say, should you find a sorceress or a witch? She has to be put to death. Instead, it says, a machshefa, a sorceress, should not be kept alive. Anyone sleeping with an animal has to be put to death. And the question is, why the change in style? Why have I gone from a positive law, from a case law, to an absolute law? This can't be done, and you have to do something about it right away. Again, these are laws that are given to Beitim. Not every person who sees a sorceress is commanded to put her to death, but Beitim, the Jewish court system, should they find a sorceress guilty, put her to death. But why is it written in a different way? Why is it written, should this happen, this is the punishment? I think the reason here is simple. Up until here, these are all cases where someone's been damaged. Okay? Who, goes, who takes the initiative? It's the person who's been damaged takes the initiative and goes to the court system and complains about the damage that's been done. In these two cases, with the Makshifa and with Shofet and Beima, with sleeping with an animal, no one's going to come and complain. The animal's not going to come and complain. And with the sorceress, the people will probably be afraid to complain because maybe they're afraid to get these magic powers. So may curse them. And therefore, as opposed to being passive and waiting for the case to come to the court system, these seem to be two cases where the court system has to take the initiative in society and make sure that sorcery doesn't take place at all. Again, that could explain these two laws, but again, the laws that refer to the court system. Then, in Pasekutet, another very strange type of law, it says if you bring a korban to God, or if you bring an uh, offering to any God, it should be, um, that person should be put to hell, excommunicated, unless you bring a korban of an offering to Hashem, to the proper God. Meaning this seems to be a classic warning, don't worship other gods, which we already had in the Ten Commandments. After this law, which is, again seems to be quite absolute, we have a total change in style, which begins with Pasachach. Verse 20. It says, the don't oppress or cheat a, uh, a stranger. Don't oppress him, don't cheat him. Why? Because you were one of strangers in Egypt. Now again, as opposed to all the case laws that we had till now, and laws that go to big thing, this already is a totally different type of law. This is an absolute law. Don't do such a thing. And followed by, not exactly a reason, but an incentive. Meaning, don't oppress and cheat a stranger because you were strangers in Egypt. Meaning, you were once a stranger. You were once on the short end of the stick. They oppressed you. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen to somebody else when you become a master in your land. Don't you dare teach strangers the way that the Egyptians treated you. Um, and that style continues. It says, Again, Don't afflict a widow or an orphan. This is an absolute, it doesn't say that if you do so, the court system is going to charge you this much amount of money. It says simply don't do it. And of course, you're not supposed to cheat anybody or afflict anyone. 
But the examples that are people are very easy to take advantage of. It's easy to take advantage of a stranger. It's easy to take advantage of an orphan or a widow. And therefore, the Torah gives us the extreme case. And for sure, you shouldn't do anyone that way. But these are people very easily, very, that a person can very easily take advantage of. But instead of giving and saying what the punishment is, the Torah switches styles now and gives, explains a different type of punishment. In Pasach Abed, it says, Should you indeed afflict this either orphan or, stra- or widow, a stranger? God says, He'll cry out to me, surely I'm going to listen to his cry out. And then, Then, your children will become orphans, and your wife will become widows, which is a nice way of saying, God is going to punish you, or cause your death. No longer is the punishment being given over to the court system, the court, there the punishment is giving over to God. Which seems to be a very logical continuation, because if there's a court system who's responsible for punishing people who did something wrong, a person can reach a very bad conclusion and say, if the court system doesn't find me guilty, then everything I do that can't be found guilty in the court system is okay. We suffer with that problem in Israel a lot today. Just because someone isn't guilty doesn't mean he's automatically totally innocent. There's always somewhere in between, which leads us to moral behavior. And God's saying, even though you might be doing things that the court system can't find you guilty, either because there's no witnesses, maybe these people don't know how to go to court, or maybe these cases can't even be tried in court, that doesn't mean that the Torah doesn't demand of you ethical behavior and don't take advantage of the, of the downtrodden. And don't take advantage of people who's very easy to take advantage of. This now continues in the next parashia, where it says, should you lend money to someone else, to a poor person, don't take, don't, don't lean on them, don't take interest from them, and if you take something as collateral, return it at night if it's something he needs, because, and how does it end? Because if you do that, and you lean on him, and he'll cry out to me, because I'm going to hear him crying, and then, which means, implies that he'll cry out to me, and I'll have to punish you for what you did. So we have a totally different change of presentation of laws. Now it's an absolute law. Here's what I expected of you. Here, the person punishing is no longer the court system, but it's God himself, and we're raising our expectations from our citizens. Then we change gear again. We say, Elohim bot kalel v'nasibam chalat on. Elohim could mean God, or could also mean a judge. Earlier in the parsha, Elohim meant the judge. And here this seems to say, based on the second half of the pasuk, the both parsha follow this direction. It says, don't curse a judge, and don't curse a political leader. Meaning, you could sort of translate it as be a respectful citizen. Because if you're living in a society that has law and order, if there's no respect to its political leaders, and there's no respect for its judicial system, it's very hard for a society like that to become, to develop a society representing God. Of course, the question comes up, what happens when your political leaders and your judges don't act in a proper way? And that's a topic for, uh, for detailed discussion. But the general principle that citizens have to respect the judicial system and shouldn't stand in contempt of court and have to respect the political leaders in their decisions, that seems to be the basis for a healthy society. The next passage also seems to be pretty much in the same idea that basically you have to pay your taxes on time. You have to give your masrot, but you have to pay your, the proper percentage from your produce 
And also give your firstborn to God, because that also is a type of a tax, which will support the, the temple and the workers in, who take care of your, your, your clergy or take care of the temple service. Then it says, be holy people. And I think the detailed description of what that means is done in Parshat Toshim to you. But what's it to mean to be Anche Kodesh? It means, Do all the laws of Parshat Toshim about the proper behavior, not to be a gossiper, and to, to love your fellow man, and not to, not to cause, not to be put a stumbling back before someone who might fall on it. Basically, broke the most basic ethical behavior laws. And then we end with a little line, don't, um, if you find a dead animal on the, on the street, don't eat it. Let the animal, let, let the dog eat it. Which might be loss of, it's hinting to loss of kashrut, but it's also hinting to basic behavior. Uh, just be a, a, a nice person. Don't, uh, I think the word in Yiddish be plus, don't be plus. Don't, if a person walks down the street, sees a dead animal, just eats it. Just people look and say, that's, that's something sickening. You're a nation representing God. That's not how a Jewish person who's kadosh acts. You can eat an animal, but there's a proper way of shepherding the animal, a more, a little more etiquette in how you eat it. Then there's laws, we start chapter 23, there's laws about baking, how the government's baking's actions itself, about uh, not to join the false witness, um, about majority rules, and don't judge someone just because he's poor, don't give him a better judgment, but simply judge people with the law. If you can give them stuck a later, but the kodavo for that very long. Then we switch gears again. We talk about, should you meet an animal? So you come across an animal that's lost, and that animal belongs to someone, to your enemy. Someone who happens in the other shore. Someone you don't talk to, someone you don't like. And you see their animal wandering, you have to return it to the owner. Of course, you have to return everyone's animal to the owner. Even someone you can't stand, you have to return to the owner. Even if this animal is having trouble, you have, you have to help the animal, what's called Azov Kazovimu, you have to have the animal under its weight. And then it talks about not taking shofar, not taking a bribe, and staking the Fasheke Tefak. We seem to be expecting a much higher level of ethical behavior. Not just not to be a rotten person, but be a good person. Again, there's no punishment. Should you do this, what will Beitin do? There's no punishment if you should do this, what God will do. You do it because it's the right thing to do. When all these ethical laws seem to reach their conclusion, we have a beautiful summary puzzle, which is almost a repeat from earlier, but gives a nicer explanation. In Berachat Gimel Pasekhet, in 23.9, it says, again, again, don't oppress a stranger. Then it adds a beautiful reason, that ten, you, the nation of Israel, you know the soul of a stranger, because you were once slaves in Egypt. You just came out of slavery. You've been sensitized. You know what it likes to be oppressed by somebody else. When you become the society, when you become the owners of the land, when you become the people with political power, don't do the strangers what they did to you. And take your experience as a slave in Egypt and learn from it to improve your own behavior. Take that experience and make it turn into something positive. Then we switch quickly to the laws between, we finish the laws between man and his fellow man. And then we go to the laws of Shabbat and Shemitah. Um, again, six days you're supposed to work, and the seventh day, um, 
I'm sorry, six years. You work your fill, and the seventh year is going to be Shemitah, and then six days you work, and the seventh day you rest. But the reasons for these laws are going to be for Shemitah is in order that the poor people should have what to eat, Shabbos for your workers could have a rest. Even though the laws between God and man, they still have a certain element of Benadam Chadero, this nice blend there between between God and man, which is expressed by you show your understanding of your relationship with God by how you treat your fellow man. Then we conclude with the Shalosh Rodolim Tachobli Vashana, the three pilgrimage holidays that seem to be totally between God and man. And three times a year you need to be seen by God, with, followed by a couple of small laws about what we do on these holidays, the Pikurim on Shavuot, or the laws of Hametzam, when we bring Korban Pesach. And that ends the set of laws in Tvarim. If we summarize, we have a beautiful pattern. Um, notice that the laws conclude with Benadam but up until then, they were all between man and his fellow man. The truth is, if we go back to the beginning of Hashem Mishpatim, we're really not at the beginning of the set of laws. Because if you look back in your Chumash, at the end of Hashem Yitro, technically speaking, these set of laws really began after the Ten Commandments. And the last Deliyah and Yitro, in Master Yitro, in Perakha Pasiketet, God tells Moshe, the people said, we don't want to hear from God directly. God says, okay. And God tells Moshe, here's the laws that tell the people of Israel. And the first set of laws is, don't make other images of God. Instead, if you want to worship me, here's the laws of how to build a Mizbeach. Two, three, sukim about how you should worship God and how you should worship God. But, the whole set of laws that begin after the Ten Commandments, this whole unit, which we call Pasha Mishpatim, which really begins at the end of Pasha Yitro, this whole set of laws begins with a very short unit, three or four to to discuss how we should or shouldn't serve God. Then we turn into laws of the other Lachadero, and when we're all done, we return to, again, laws of how to serve, how to serve God with Adi Adarego. You can almost compare it to like a sandwich, where on the bottom and top, we have laws that discuss how we serve God, how we relate to God, how we serve Him. And in between, these top and bottom of the sandwich, we have the, I guess called the meat of the sandwich, the main laws, which discuss how we treat our fellow man. But even these laws inside that relate to the Ram Machabir, the commandments fellow man, have two distinct sections. We have the case laws, the causative laws, which we could call civil laws, the laws about damages, they began with laws how to treat the Jewish slave, the go to what happens when one person damages another person. And almost all these laws would fall under the category we call Chosher Mishpat. These are laws that Beitim have to enforce and have to check out. These are laws that almost every nation has. We call them civil laws. That every nation needs laws like this. Should this happen, here's the punishment. And these laws continue for about a little more than a chapter. And when these laws end, we have another little break. We have a quick little return to the speaking about laws between God and man again. We have the laws of bringing an offering to another God. It has to be excommunicated. We can see that as almost like a, um, almost like a double sandwich. We have another slice of bread smack in the middle. Meaning, the laws between man and his fellow man have a little divider in the middle, which divide between the civil laws that belong to the court system, Followed by a whole set of ethical laws, which are absolute, which don't say, should this happen, here's your punishment, here's how you have to act, be kind, be nice, don't be mean, etc. And they continue all the way till the end. 
Meaning, what do we have in our sandwich? Our top piece of bread is going to be how to, worship, how to serve God, how not to serve God, how to serve God with the Mizbeah, followed by the most basic civil laws that every society needs to have, having Mishpat, with a little break of another law between God and man, again, about how to serve or how not to serve God, followed by a whole set of battery laws, now ethical laws, how to be a good citizen, how to be a good person, how not to be too mean, how to be just, how to be kind, sort of how to give tzedakah as a way of life, how to be a good, strong, ethical person. We conclude that, that whole section, with a bottom piece of bread, with, um, again, how do we serve God on the three pilgrimage holidays, and right at the transition point, we talk about other laws between God and man, Shabbat and Shemitah, with this sort of ethical element to it, about being nice to the, to the poor and to the, and to our, and to the workers, to give them a rest as well on Shabbat. What does that structure teach us? What's the meaning of that structure that we find between the laws? This sampling of laws, which isn't the entire Torah, but it's a beautiful sampling of what Torah is all about. We just entered the covenant of God at Marcina. We entered the covenant to be a nation representing, to be a Mamlechah Kalim Roy Kadosh. God says, should you listen to my laws in Shemot Yishmukh and keep my covenant, read Sinai, and then to be a treasure to me. Because the land I'm bringing you to, Tithi Kola Aretz, either because I own all the land, or the land I'm bringing you to, the land of Israel, belongs to me, and you're going to represent me there. And should you keep this covenant, by thank you, Lima, Melechah, Konei, Kadosh, you'll be a nation, not just individuals representing me, but a Mamalcha, a nation representing me, and not Kadosh, a nation set aside, designated, to represent me. That's, that was the deal we made in Harsinah. What do we find in Harsinah? An example a sampling of laws that will make us this nation that will represent God. What do we need? If your nation represented God, you have to have rituals. You have to have a way to serve God. You need a reminder that He's your God. So we need, we need certain mitzvot between God and, and man. And they form the perimeter. They form the, the, the what we call the sandwich, the piece of bread on top and piece of bread on the bottom. They envelope this entire unit. But what's the meaning of the sandwich? The meat of sandwich is how we act as individuals. And how we act as individuals works on two levels. First, to be a good citizen. First, to be like every law. Have civil laws. Have basic mishpat, like every nation should have. God expects that from every nation. And God gives us examples. We might have been familiar with other laws when we were in Egypt. God's saying, given these cases you're familiar with, here's what I want you to do. And one of the biggest differences between these laws and outside laws is how we trade the servant. In Jewish law, Jewish servant. It's special, it's almost treated as good as a regular person. And even a non-Jewish servant has rights. You can't kill your servant. If you do, you're put to death. If you cause damage to your servant, even a non-Jewish servant, he goes free. If you knock out his tooth, etc. Or knock out his eye. In, in ancient, other ancient law code, they treated, they treated servants like dirt. Didn't have any rights. Now, the Jewish law, we're giving servants much more rights than existed in the ancient world. But Judaism isn't just about civil laws, about doing justice, it's also about ethical behavior. In the second section, we talk about what God expects us because we're his people. And what might be, the three which might be a little bit extra to a regular nation, because we're God's nation, we're commanded to do. Returning a lost item is, is nice, it's virtuous, in a regular society. In God's society, that's something we have to do. Um, and therefore, we have this beautiful unit envelope of Mitzvot Ben Adam Lamakol 
surrounding Mitzvot Benam Lachaviro, which have two sections, what we expect from all nations, civil laws, and to do them properly, but then what expected from us because we're God's nation, ethical laws, which are not commanded upon us because we have to do them because we're God's nation. Um, together, they make the sampling of laws which becomes Pasha Mishpatim, which becomes this, the basis of the covenant that's going to take place in chapter 24. Uh, to conclude this year, I want to relate this to a theme in Sefer Breshit, which I think fits very beautifully here. Remember when God chose Adon Avinu, he told him, I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to make your name great, etc. But in Pasha Ta'era, in Pelikuchet, before God destroyed stone, he told Adon Avinu, he tells actually the reader, before he tells Adon about the strange stone, God tells, Chumash tells the reader, that Adam is best to become in Perikichet, Pasikichet. Uh, chapter 18, verse 18. God tells Adam, you know, God tells the reader, Adam, Adam was chosen to become a great nation, and he'll be a blessing to all mankind, like God told him in the beginning of Pasha Bechacha. Then Chumash tells us why, or how this is supposed to work. He that because God had come to know him, Laman, Ashir Tzavet, Banad, Betoach Arav, Shamut, God had chosen Adam and so he would teach his children, and they're to, to begin this family tradition from one generation to the next, keep the ways of God, which is doing Tzedek Mishpat. You could translate Tzedek Mishpat loosely as social justice, being a kind and just person. But if you look at these two sections of laws, of laws of Benin Lachadero and Pasha Mishpatim, what do we find? The first section is Mishpat, Elo Mishpatim Ater Kasim Dithnem. These are the basics of Mishpat, which every society has to have. The second section in the sandwich, which began with the Gerd Otonet, Kigem Ekenet Mitzrayim, are the ethical laws, that's more the tzedek that we're doing, the righteousness that we have. And therefore, since God said, you were chosen to be a nation doing tzedek and mishpat, and that's why I chose you, therefore the envelope is going to be Benadam Lamakom, our relationship with God, because we're God's nation. In between, the laws of Amethyst's nation include an entire section about mishpat, and an entire, nation, an entire section about tzedek. It's like how mishpat. And those are the key elements. Right? Doing what's just and what's right, and also doing a little extra in our society. And that's what Judaism is all about. And how we relate to God, the most important thing is how we act in our day-to-day life. Those are complemented by our special laws of ritual that connect us to God. In that sense, Parshish Kiyendi is a beautiful sampling, a beautiful beginning of the giving of the Torah, of our covenant with God, and it gives an application of the covenant that began with the Ten Commandments, how to apply it into society that's going to go to the land of Israel and establish a nation that's going to make a name for God. Um, this day will continue for sure in Chumash. And the rest of Sefer Shmuel, later on Sefer Fine, basically in all Chumash, right, and Dabibar as well, but Parshish Patin gives us a good start of the basic laws that make us a nation representing God. Shabbat Shalom. You have been listening to Arab Menachem Liptag in the Shio for Pashat Shavu for Pashat Mishpatim. And now for today's Halacha Yomit. On second thought, looking at the time, I see we've run over our time, and therefore we will postpone the Halacha Yomit till tomorrow, when we'll be back with the Erev Shabbat program. Until then, call to from Gush Etzion, Yeshivat HaRetzion. This is Ezra Beck, and this has been KMTT. Ki Mitzion Tetzei Torah Udvar Hashem Yerushalayim.